Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Today's reading will be from John chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom loved Jesus and Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and I do not know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped in and looked and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus had said he needed to rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside of the tomb, crying, as she, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I do not know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Do not cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. She gave him this message. Jesus appears to his disciples. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And he spoke to them and he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy as they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who are believing without seeing. 
The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life and power in his name. This is the word of God. He is risen. Awesome. Let's pray and uh, we'll get started in God's word. Father, we come before you and our greatest prayer this morning is that you would be worshipped. Lord, we, we know that you desire worship and even more we know that you deserve worship. And so we pray, Lord, that what would happen this morning is that our hearts would be so stirred up by what you've done for us in Christ through his death and resurrection that we would worship you freely, Lord. We pray that as we think about the scars from the wounds of the cross that Jesus even now still carries, we pray, Lord, that we be moved to honor him and love him and speak boldly and proudly about him. Lord, that we would boast in him. Father, we pray that our whole lives would be centered around you and what you've done for us, Lord. We pray that we would offer our whole selves this morning, Lord. Open our eyes to believe. Open our eyes to see. Open our eyes to feel what's here for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Royce read this morning, we're going to be in John 20. We're only going to do a couple of the verses, though. We're mainly going to do 19 and 20. And uh, the events that Royce read there um, occurred actually on the evening of that first Easter. So this would be uh, Sunday, April 5th, 33 AD. Jesus having died the Friday before, Good Friday. Soldiers at the end of that pierced his side to make sure he was dead. They sealed him in a tomb. And they had guards watch it. And one of the funniest lines in the Bible is really where Pilate says to the guards, make it as secure as you can. Right? Make that tomb as secure as you can. And we all know how that went. <laughs> they were not able to keep it secure because the Lord of life was able to come back from the dead and, and, and come out from that tomb. But Saturday, guys, these disciples did not know that was going to happen. It was a terrible day for them. A lot of times we, we think about Good Friday and we think about Easter. We don't think about what's traditionally called Holy Saturday, which is a day for them of disillusionment and doubt and fear. And we see their fear in verse 19, right? It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And those are for the fear of the Jewish religious leaders. They were afraid. They would, their whole world had unraveled. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't have any further revelation. They didn't know why things went the way they went. Um, Jesus then does this great reversal on Easter morning uh, where he comes back to physical, biological life. And I think that's really important for us to grasp because a lot of times we think Jesus came back you know, spiritually, whatever that means. He came back to real, physical, biological life. We'll see that this morning. And then he spent 40 days still wandering around in his own stomping ground there, showing himself to be alive. A lot of times there's this blank spot where you have, um, you have his death, you have his resurrection, and then it kind of trails off, you know, because we don't think about it. But 40 days later, he ascended. He took his physical body with him. But for that time, they, they touched him. They ate with him. They no doubt laughed with him with joy. And I just love how Jesus appears to these disciples here. They're, they're afraid. They're, they're hunkered down in, their, in this room. The door's locked. And what does Jesus do? He just pops in. Peace be with you. It must have freaked him out. You know, that's such a crazy way to appear to him. He says, peace be with you. And then he shows him his hands and his side. And you can just imagine their joy, thinking like, we thought you were dead. We saw you were dead. What happened? He says, I was dead, and now I'm alive. 
I'm alive forevermore. And he showed them the nail prints on his wrists and the gash in his side. He showed him his scars, his wounds from three days before. They were healed, but there were still visible scars. And we know that Jesus showed him his scars because that's what Thomas demands eight days later. So he came to these disciples, and in verse 20, he shows them his scars. Thomas wasn't there. He had to wait another eight days to see Jesus, and he demands to see the same thing. In verse 25, he says, Unless I see his hands with the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas is like, I want the same thing you guys got eight days before, right? He demands to see those scars. And this morning, I just want to ask this one simple question, which is, why does Jesus still have his scars? Why, after being raised from the dead, does Jesus still have the scars of the cross? Um, we know from Revelation 5, it indicates that he still has those scars even today, enthroned in heaven. As the great hymn, uh, Crown Him with Many Crowns, says, Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands inside, rich wounds yet visible above and beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. He has his scars still. Why? Why still have his scars? I mean, God could have removed them very easily, right? God did remove a lot of the marks from the crucifixion. We know from Isaiah 52 that by the time they were done with him on Good Friday, it says that he was marred beyond the appearance of human. He, he was so badly marred from everything he experienced that it was hard to tell he was a human being. I mean, that bad. And so God did remove some of his scars, but why didn't he erase them all? You might think to yourself, well... You know, what are scars for? What do scars do? And one of the things scars do is they're reminders, aren't they? Scars are reminders. We've all got physical scars on us, and we know exactly how they got them. I got this big one right here on my finger when I was riding my motorcycle, a dirt bike, and I, and I went way too close to this fence post and just rammed my hand into it at full speed and, like, turned and fell down. It was, it was awful, and I still have that thing. You guys have scars from things. They're reminders. Jesus' scars, guys, remind us of two things that I want to see this morning. They remind us of his glory and our peace. Jesus' scars are there to remind us of his glory and our peace. First, his glory. How does Jesus' scars remind us of his glory? I think it's pretty easy to see this, actually. Think of a heroic soldier that returns from victory in battle, and think of that soldier as having a huge gash on the side of his face, and he got that by rescuing some of his platoon mates, right? He rescued him, and in the process, he got this huge wound on his face. They stitch it up and stuff like that, but it leaves this big gash. Guys, that scar on that warrior, that scar on that soldier, would remind everybody who saw him of this soldier's courage and love, wouldn't it? That scar would become his glory, wouldn't it? That scar would be glorious to him. Jesus' scars are glorious to him. Jesus' scars remind us of his glory, of his glorious victory on the cross. That's what they did that first Easter. That's what they're doing right now as he's in heaven and has these scars. As that hymn says, the angels worship him because of these. And that's what those scars are going to do, guys, when we see Jesus face to face. There will be a day as uh, for all Christians when they come, they're raised from the dead in the new world, and they enjoy the very physical presence of Jesus, and we're going to see his scars. You know? and, and guys, his, his glory is most seen in the cross. I mean, he's glorious in feeding the 5,000. He was glorious in walking on water. He was glorious on healing people. He was glorious cleansing the temple. He was glorious calming the storm. But Jesus said his greatest glory was on the cross. 
In, in John 13, 31, he said, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he was talking about the cross. The cross is where his glory is seen. And all of us, we weren't able to see the cross. We weren't able to be there. But when we see him, we're going to be reminded of what he did as we look upon his scars. His scars show us his glory. Just imagine what that's going to do to you, to be able to see those. You know, to be in the world to come and to be with Jesus and be talking with him and him talking with you. And then, you know, you just kind of catch sight and look down and you just catch sight of the scars on his wrist or the scars on his side. Imagine how you'll be drawn to love him even more every time you see it. Imagine how it'll stir up your loyalty. Imagine how it'll stir up your, your, your boasting in him. Imagine how it'll stir up worship. A lot of us think of like heaven and it's just like going to be like this big stadium where we're all just like singing the same worship songs over and over again. That's not heaven, okay? That's not what it is. It's a, it's a resurrected new world and every worship that happens there is going to be completely spontaneous as we see some new image of his glory. And one of those things will be his scars. We'll see those scars on his arm and we'll be reminded and we'll be like, want to praise him. It's all going to come from the heart. Um, Jesus still has his wounds because they're the wounds of his glory, the 8th century writer Bede, he was called the Venerable Bede, I don't know, in his lifetime, but I really like that name. Anyway, the 8th century writer Bede, he said, that, he said that Jesus still wears his scars as everlasting trophies of his victory. Isn't that awesome? They are the tattoos of his glory. Crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands inside, rich wounds yet visible above and beauty glorified. Jesus' scars remind us of his glory. Second, Jesus' scars remind us of our peace. Remember that that's the context of this, right? Jesus pops in, he says, peace be with you, and he shows them his scars. His scars are meant to bring them peace. They bring us peace as we think about them now. His hands and his side. And there's three ways that I see that we get peace from, from knowing Jesus' scars. And there are these three. The, his scars give us peace with the truth. They remind us of our peace with God. And they give us peace with the future. So I'm just going to go through those real quick. First one. Um, his scars give us peace with the truth. Remember, these disciples, they had just spent since Friday in deep dis disillusionment. Like, everything had unraveled, they expected. Jesus told them he was going to die on the cross. He told them he was going to be raised. But they didn't remember it. And I don't know why, but they just seemed to never get it. And I think it probably it's because culturally they expected a political, powerful Messiah that would come in and kill all their enemies. They didn't expect Jesus to come in and die for their enemies. Like it didn't make sense to them. They didn't expect this to happen. And so when he died and when he was put in the tomb, they didn't know what was going on. They were deeply disillusioned. But seeing Jesus raised from the dead taught them, showed them that everything he taught was true. Isn't that awesome? They're just like, they spent the whole, you know, weekend thinking like, well, you know, I mean, he seemed trustworthy and yet this happened. Like what's going on? And then they see him resurrected and they go, it's all true. Seeing Jesus' scars tells us all true. His resurrection and his scars give us the peace of knowing what Jesus taught was true, that he is the true Messiah, he is the true Lord. And those disciples were so convinced of that because they handled him, they handled his body, they felt his scars, they saw him alive. And guys, we should believe their report. We should believe their report. Um, a lot of times when we think about the resurrection, uh, we're prone to have doubts because resurrecting people coming back from the dead is not our normal experience, right? It's, to put it lightly, it's not our normal experience. It's so counter to our experiences. And so 
we often will have doubts about this. It's, it's miraculous, and miracles are hard to take in. And we want to be a church, guys, that is warmly receives those who have doubts. You know, we want to be a warm place for those who are skeptics and doubters. Um, that's, you know, a temperament of my own, is to doubt and be skeptical. And even more than that, Jesus is a doubter-friendly Savior. You just realize that? When you look in chapter 20 here, you see by him showing his scars, Jesus is a doubter-friendly Savior. Thomas is very demanding about this. In fact, the word he uses for touch is thrust my hand in. It's kind of an aggro kind of way of talking. And yet Jesus is happy to do this. He's a doubter-friendly Savior. And so I want to just go through real quick, and, and we could go into a lot more depth. And, and there's this book, uh, The Resurrection of the Son of God. Look how thick it is. You go through this if you wanted to study more on the proofs. Um, that's a book by N.T. Wright. Really good on the resurrection. But I want to go through some doubts that we could have about that. One of them that's really common because us as on Easter, a lot of times we say, behold the empty tomb. And we talk a lot about the empty tomb. And people go like, well, what if somebody just took his body? Like, empty tomb's not proof. You know? You looked in the wrong place. I mean, that happens all the time in our house. I can't find things. (laughs) My wife's like constantly like, you need to look harder and move things around. You know? Like... And maybe that's what they needed to do. But guys, realize that they didn't just say they saw an empty tomb. They say they handled the physical Savior alive, right? That's what they say they saw. They saw him. They touched his scars. And hundreds of people interacted with Jesus over a 40-day period. They ate with him. They talked with him. They wanted proof of feeling his scars. I mean, all these kinds of things, right? And so um, it isn't just an empty tomb. They saw the Savior. Well, maybe, you know, you might say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. This is something that that Islam teaches. Maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just appeared to be dead, and he was put in a tomb, and he kind of got resuscitated in there. And then he came out and said, hey, look, I'm raised from the dead. But he was just resuscitated. He didn't really die. Uh, Guys, his scars remind us of what he went through. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was crucified. He was speared in the side. Guys, one thing that Roman soldiers know how to do is kill people. Okay, And they know how to confirm it, and they know how to make sure. There's no way that he, quote-unquote, swooned and got resuscitated in the tomb, and then Easter he's skipping around telling everybody he conquered death. Like, not possible, guys. Not possible. They would not be encouraged by the sight of Jesus if he just swooned. He would need an ICU. He wouldn't be Lord of life, right? And so, um, or you could say, well, maybe they just wanted so badly for Jesus to be alive that they hallucinated or had visions that he was alive. That's kind of compelling. You know, they wanted so badly for him to be alive and they thought they saw him. You know, that happens to people, right? But guys, realize that these people didn't expect Jesus to be raised from the dead. This is a surprise to them. Look at them in this locked room. This is a surprise to them. And these guys were not stupid. I think a lot of times we think ancient people not as smart as us, right? Because we have technology and we're all like standing there like this because we're so much smarter, right? No. <laughs> No, we're not smarter. We have technology, but we're not smarter. Um, These people were also skeptical and demanded proof like us, right? And they knew that things like visions or hallucinations happened. That's why Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch the wounds, right? He's a very skeptical man. Um, Unless we see those things. And guys, people can have hallucinations, but hundreds of people don't have coordinated hallucinations, right? They don't have the same hallucination together, right? That doesn't happen. Um, you might say, well, maybe these people just made it up. You know, they made up this resurrection thing, they started a new religion around it. But realize, guys, these guys are locked in this room for a reason. They're scared they're going to die. And they were going to die. Like, that's the truth. 
first couple hundred years of Christianity, there was no benefit to making up a story like this and starting a new religion. No benefit. In America, there's benefit to starting new religions. You can do that. You can make a lot of money. Then you get killed. That's what happens when you say you're following a crucified Messiah. All but one of the original disciples got killed like Jesus did. They had nothing to gain for those first couple hundred years. You might say, well, you know, ancient people, they just believed in stuff like resurrections. They weren't as skeptical. But you know what, guys? They didn't believe in stuff like resurrections. The Jews believed in a resurrection of everybody at once. They didn't believe in individuals being resurrected any more than we do. They believed in a resurrection at the end. Um, The Greeks hated the idea of physical resurrection. For them, our our bodies are like an earthly container. There's something we don't want. There's something we got to get free from, you know, that kind of Platonist view. And so they wouldn't have wanted their bodies back. They would have escaped the body. They would have thought resurrection was the worst possible thing. And so we're not talking about a culture that just believes in stuff like that. They don't. They were highly skeptical, but just for different reasons. And you guys realize that the church exploded in numbers in the worst possible soil, okay? You have an environment where people don't believe in this kind of thing, like resurrection. You are preaching a crucified Messiah, which to the Jews was just an abhorrent idea. To the Greeks, it was total silliness. You know, you don't follow, you know, if your king couldn't even stay alive, you know, and got crucified, then why should I follow him? The church exploded in numbers in the worst possible intellectual soil. And the reason why that happened, guys, because they saw the scars. These people actually saw and felt the scars, and they went out there and boldened to preach it. And you might say, well, you know, I find that compelling, but Eric, it's just scientifically impossible. You know, it's scientifically impossible for people to come back from the dead. And I hear you. I'm a veterinarian. I'm a science guy. You're right. People don't just come back from the dead. But what we're talking about here, guys, is a miracle. And so it's not really a science question at all, is it? It's a miracle. It's a history question. It's a question of whether something happened in history that was very unexpected, but it did happen. And guys, when you look at the historical evidence, and I just ask you to do that if you're not sure, it checks out. It checks out every way you look at it. No matter how strange and unexpected this may be, the best explanation for the historical data is that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he really did come back to physical life, biological life. And his scars, guys, give us peace with that truth. Uh, second, Jesus' scars remind us of our peace with God. Jesus' scars remind us of our peace with God. Um, we had an awesome you know, Good Friday service. It was, I was so thankful that so many of you guys came out for that. And we, we looked at the substitutionary death of Jesus. We looked at how the cup of God's wrath that we deserve, with our name on it, he drank dry on the cross, that he took all the judgment for us, that, that God the Father sent God the Son, empowered by God the Spirit, to be our substitute. But Peter puts it this way, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were all straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In Jesus Christ we have God himself dying on our behalf, receiving in his own body the consequences that our sin deserved. That's the good news. That's the good news of Jesus. And Jesus' scars remind us of that news. When we look upon those scars, we see it's finished, it's paid for. Um, Easter, guys, I just want to say to those of you who aren't following Christ, Easter is a great time to receive that Jesus as your substitute. This would be an excellent time 
to receive him as your substitute. If you're a person like Peter described, straying like sheep, you know, he gives this image of, of sheep that have strayed, and you think, that's me, I've been straying from the Lord. God is offering you this morning an opportunity to return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Don't you love that name for, for Jesus? He's the shepherd and overseer of your soul. It's like, I need a shepherd, and a shepherd that died for me, that would oversee and watch over my soul. Guys, Easter is a day to do that. Easter is a day that a lot of people return to the church, but I would plead to you to do more than that. Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I mean, this is a shepherd who, it says, bore our sins in his body on the tree. And if this morning you just call out to him, you say, maybe during worship time or, or whenever, or maybe right now, you say, Lord, I've been straying. <laughs> I know that, you know that. I want to return. Cover my sin. I, I want to be cleansed by the offering that your son did on the cross. I want to come home. Cleanse me. Draw my heart. Make me come back to you with a whole heart. He'll answer that prayer. You'd answer that prayer today. It's not a big process. You don't need to take a class. That's something that you could receive today. Jesus' scarred hands and side, they remind us that no matter what any of you have done, you can be received by God, right? You can be received because there's no sin in this room, guys, that's, that can erase those scars. Those scars are there for your salvation if you would just come to those. His scarred side is ready to receive you in, right? Those scars, and those scars are still there in heaven. Why? You know, Jesus has a ministry now too. So he, he was here for 40 days after the resurrection. Then he ascends. And then do you know what he does now? He's our high priest. He's our high priest. He's our mediator. In a lot of different uh, traditions, there's priests that kind of help you, connect you with God. They're a mediator. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is the one who mediates. He's our high priest. Um, Hebrews 7.25 says this. Jesus is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him. Listen to this. Since Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. What's intercession? Prayer, right? He prays for us all the time. Every one of you are trusting Christ. He prays for you every day by name. He prays for you very specifically. I know a lot of times, you know, if you need prayer, you'll try and find the most godly person you know, right? And you'll text them like, pray for me, I need this job, or whatever, right? Guys, you have Jesus himself. If you're a Christian, you have Jesus himself praying for you by name every day. It says in Hebrews uh, 7.25, it says he lives to do it. You say, Jesus, thank you for praying for me every day. And he goes, oh, I live to do it. He lives to make intercession for you. Isn't that amazing? And as he does that, as your representative in heaven, as a priest in heaven, it's his nail-scarred hands that pray for you before the Father. He is your representative, your mediator with scars, with scars that have earned you full access. Guys, how could you ever think that you won't be received by God, right? You're received with scarred hands. No sin that you've ever done can remove those scars. How could we ever think that God would forget us? And we feel forgotten sometimes, especially when our prayers don't seem to be answered and we see, feel so alone. We feel like God's abandoned us. We feel like he's forgotten about us. In Isaiah 49, 15, God says this to his people. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Like, could, could, a, could a mother forget her baby that she needs to feed? He says this, even these may forget, but I won't forget you. And then he says this, he says, behold, I have you engraved on my hands. Like, his scars are a reminder of you. You will not be forgotten. He will not forget how he got these, Right? He, he, he thinks of you, he prays for you every day. And, and how can we ever think that we won't get God's best? You know, like uh, when 
uh, preacher that I really like, he says that um, God always gives us in prayer what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knows. If we knew everything God knows, you know, those are the things that God gives us, right? God gives, always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. And, um, and our lives, guys, have been prayed for through the scarred hands of Jesus. We're always getting God's best for us no matter how painful it is. So secondly, God's scars remind us of our peace with God. And then lastly, Jesus' scars give us peace with the future. These disciples are terrified, right? They're, they're behind locked doors. They're hiding out. Um, you know, the, probably the reason Jesus had to kind of pop in there is because they probably weren't going to open that door no matter what. Knock, knock. Who is it? Jesus. Oh, yeah, right. You know, like, no, no we're not falling for that one. Right? Jesus appears to these disciples, and they're crazy afraid of the future. Look at verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, first day of the week, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. When Jesus pops in and he says, peace be with you. They're hiding behind locked doors. They're afraid of the religious leaders. They're afraid of the future. They're afraid of the world, right? They're afraid of the world and how it will wound them. They will be wounded. They know it. The doors are locked because they're afraid of how the world's going to wound them. Guys, we can live like that too, right? We can live like that. Even if we go outside our house, we can live as if we're locked inside, right? Afraid of the future, afraid of how the world will wound us. The reality, guys, is that life is suffering, right? Anybody that tells you otherwise is selling something, trying to make some money, right? Life is suffering, right? Life is a process of loss, right? It's a process of wounding. You will be wounded following Jesus. Jesus did not, like, say, hey, come follow me. It'll all be great. You'll never be hurt a day in your life. No, he didn't say that, right? He didn't say, come follow me. You'll have your best life now. He said, no, come and pick up your cross and follow me. We'll be wounded following Jesus. And so their fear seems reasonable, right? If Jesus made promises like that, maybe we stay in locked house. Maybe we don't go outside. But the amazing thing is, guys, is that these same disciples that are so afraid, in a few days, they're out praising God in public, sharing the gospel in public, willing to die in very dramatic ways, happy to suffer him. What happened? What happened? They felt his scars. <laughs> they saw his scars. In Jesus, they saw wounds which had endured the world's worst. When you think about Good Friday, we think about wounds that have endured the worst the world can offer. The worst the world can offer was put on Christ in those wounds. And now they're seeing those wounds are gloriously healed. And the disciples knew that somehow that would happen to their wounds too. Right? Your wounds too. The worst the world can offer you, those wounds will be gloriously healed like Jesus' wounds were healed. Gives us peace with the future. Those disciples knew that. They knew that by resurrection, all their wounds would be healed. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, you too will be raised and all your wounds will be gloriously healed. Because life is a process of suffering and loss and wounding. We get wounded in relationships. We get wounded in our health. We get wounded in our strength and our reputation and our finances and our career. All those things. We get wounded in those things. And the promise is that by resurrection, those wounds will be healed. Have you been wounded? Have you thought with things that have happened in your life, even this year, what good could possibly come of this? That's one of our first responses to wounding, right? What good could possibly come of this? There's nothing in the future that can make this okay. Well, I'll tell you what, those disciples, that's exactly what they would have thought on Good Friday. As they're seeing their Savior, their Lord, their best friend, crucified on a cross, twisting there, writhing and dying. They would have thought, no good can come of this. Don't even try and tell me some good. You know, there's no silver lining to this. And this isn't getting better. 
There's no future thing that could make this right. You would have thought that too. And you know what? You would have been wrong. (laughs) You would have been wrong two days later, right? On the third day, he rises again. It's exactly what we thought, you know? And then here, here we are, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus took all that pain away and made all that agony gloriously worth it. God's gonna do something like that with every one of your wounds and pains if you trust in him. He is. He's gonna gloriously heal them. Jesus' healed wounds are the beginning of the new creation. You guys realize that? There's a new creation coming. This this world's going to be made new. This world is going to be made new in a very physical, tangible, real, you know, start fresh, make it all new way. Look at that in the last two chapters of Revelation. And he's going to resurrect our bodies. And there's a beginning of the new creation even now as people trust in him. Those wounds were the beginning of the new creation. They're saying that the worst things that the world can do to you can be healed in a way that's glorious and that somehow it'll be more glorious than if you were never wounded, right? Jesus' wrists are more glorious now than if they had never been wounded. It's a picture of what he's going to do with our own lives. Our lives will be raised more glorious than if they've never been wounded. Some people say things like, well, you know, do you think in the new world, do you think we're going to remember this world? think we're going to remember the pain of this world? You know, is God going to remove those memories? And, um, and behind that's the idea that God has to somehow erase our memories to make us happy. The truth is, is that one sight of Jesus is going to make you ridiculously happy, right? Is going to reverse all that suffering, is going to make everything worth it. Just like on that Sunday morning when they saw Jesus and they saw his wounds and they thought, what you did on Friday was totally worth it. You're going to feel that all the pain of this world was totally worth it when you see Jesus. One side of him will change everything. We'll be raised more glorious than if we've never been wounded. I, I love that scene in, uh, there's a scene in Return of the King. And, um, and, it, and Sam says this at the end. He says this, he says, I thought you were dead. But then I thought myself that I was dead. And he says this, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happening to this world? You could imagine the disciples saying the same thing. We thought you were dead. And he's like, I was dead. I thought we were going to be dead. You were. Now I'm alive. And then he says this, is everything sad going to come untrue? Jesus' scars show us that everything sad is going to come untrue for those who follow him. We're going to laugh with joy, guys. We're going to be amazed at how such grief could be turned to such glory in such an instant when he returns. That's what Jesus' scars show us. They give us peace about the future. Do you guys know of any news better than that? We could share right now. Right? Do you guys know of any news better than that? That is the news that we have to spread. In verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even, though, even so I am sending you. That's the news we have to enjoy. Um, traditionally, Christians would often say that to each other, right? They would say, peace be with you, right? Based on this. And what do you say back? And also with you, right? Maybe we should bring that back, right? We should bring that back. That's right here in this passage. Jesus says, peace be with you. We say, also with you. That's the news we have to enjoy. That's the news we have to sing about. That is the news we have to spread as a church family. Peace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the peace you give through the scars of your son. You are a God of detail. Thank you for giving us these details, these rich insights, these these things to dig into and to receive comfort from. We thank you that the cross and the resurrection and the ascension have so many beautiful angles to enjoy. You've not left us with some sort of a one-dimensional story or a one-dimensional cross. 
But every year, every day, every hour, we get to see some fresh view of what your son has done for us. We thank you for that. Father, I thank you that you have, even now, in this time, impressed upon us the reality of the resurrection, the reality that we share in that, the reality that your son's healed body was just the beginning, just the beginning of what you got planned for this world. We thank you that you're going to make all things new. Love that. Revelation 21. Behold, I make all things new. Lord, help us to be the beginning of that. Help us to spread the news of that. Father, we pray for so many to come to know you in this valley, in this place, in the nations, that you would be worshipped, Lord. We want to crown them with many crowns. We want to behold his hands inside, his rich wounds, glorious above, problem solved, future is amazing. We don't deserve this, Lord. Obviously, we don't deserve this. This is all a gift, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.